0: From the sixth to the eighteenth of November, heads of states, minister, negotiators, along with climate activists, mayors, civil society representatives, and CEOs are meeting in the Egyptian coastal city of Sharm el-Sheikh for the largest annual gathering on climate action, the twenty-seventh Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change (COP27) builds on the outcomes of COP26 to deliver action on an array of issues critical to tackling the climate emergency, from urgently reducing greenhouse gas emissions, building resilience, and adapting to the inevitable impacts of climate change, to delivering on the commitments to finance climate action in developing countries. Faced with a growing energy crisis, record greenhouse gas concentrations, and increasing extreme weather events, COP27 seeks renewed solidarity between countries to deliver on the landmark Paris Agreement for the people and the planet." End quote. That summary, taken from the United Nations website, provides a bare-bones assessment of the conference that took place in Egypt over the past week. The 27th iteration of the Conference of Parties was highly publicized, in part due to the past couple years of climate disasters which have been, which seemed to be getting worse and worse over time. According to Yale Climate Connections, quote, at least $29 billion weather disasters have rocked the planet so far in 2022, said insurance broker Aon in its quarterly disaster report issued October October 18th. Heat waves in Europe killed more than 16,000 people and nearly 1,700 died as a result of flooding in Pakistan. The disasters included 14 severe weather events, six floods, five droughts, three tropical cyclones, and one European windstorm. Comparing the total damages so far in 2022 to past years is difficult, the broker cautioned, because the 2022 losses are expected to be dominated by Hurricane Ian, and it will be some months before those can be tallied." End quote. As the week rolled onwards, international media outlets paid close attention publishing even minor details in order to draw attention to the potential outcomes for the conference. While news outlets were clearly dedicated to their scrutiny, major announcements became, began flowing out of the closed-door sessions almost immediately. From its outset, it seemed as though the framers of the meeting had lofty goals, as was assessed by the Associated Press in the days leading up to the opening ceremony. Quote, a draft decision proposed by host Egypt for this year's UN climate talk has surprised negotiators who say it includes ideas never previously discussed at the two-week talks. This includes a call for developed countries to achieve net negative carbon emissions by 2030, a far tougher target than any major nation has so far committed to and which would be very hard to achieve. Diplomats, speaking on condition of anonymity due to the sensitivity of the issue, say the 20-page draft released early Thursday is far more bloated than what would normally have been expected at this stage in the negotiations, end quote. In this edition of Stock Issues, I intend to examine the major developments from the COP27 conference, especially in relation to China, given the topic selected by the NSDA for the coming month. So, stay tuned. Welcome to the latest edition of Stock Issues, COP27 in Review, presented by the Missoula Debate League. I'm your host, Eli Brown, and this week's episode will examine the week's worth of negotiation that took place at the COP27 Environmental Conference in Egypt, with a focus on China's role. We will then move into a discussion of a couple of additional arguments for the negation. Stock issues is is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. So don't forget to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. Things are always in motion over here at the Missoula Debate League, so check us out on social at Missoula Debate League, all lowercase, no spacing or punctuation, or visit our website at www.missouladebateleague.com. Thank you for tuning in, and now. On to the episode. Quote, At COP27, the United Nations Climate Change Conference held in Egypt this month, China has figured Prominently in the debate between African and Western nations over financial help to developing countries suffering the effects of climate change. This year alone, the African continent has seen deadly flooding in South Africa and the worst drought in years in the Horn of Africa. African nations at COP27 are pushing hard for rich nations to pay climate compensation and contribute to a loss and damage fund. In a joint statement, China, Brazil, India, and South Africa accused rich nations of double standards for f- using fossil fuels while pushing developing nations to go green. The cold reality is that none of the high-income countries achieved developed status under any carbon constraint, yet all the developing countries now need to find a new path to achieve high-income status under the 1.5-degree target, Wai Shen, a climate expert at Britain's Institute of Development Studies, told VOA. End quote. The proposal of the Loss and Damage Fund, summarized there by VOA, rocked the COP27 conference and the rest of the world more generally, as most major nations participating in the conference seem to have no idea that such a program was on the agenda. The sentiment argued there has been a major line of reasoning for the CCP in recent decades, as China's exponential growth simultaneously made them the world's largest emissions contributor. China has long felt that the constraints imposed upon it by the West were unfair, insofar as those same countries were able to develop without any limits in regards to climate change. With China and other developing nations feeling the first effects of the climate crisis, there is definitely an argument to be made in terms of reparations, seeing as those nations share little responsibility for the disasters which have cost them millions of dollars. Unfortunately for all negotiators involved, the proposal led to a breakdown in negotiations midway through the conference. Quote, climate talks appeared to be stalled late Thursday on major issues going into the final day, but possibilities for a deal were buoyed by an unexpected proposal by the European Union on two of the thorniest issues, tying compensation for climate disasters to tougher emissions cuts. Minutes after the United Nations Summit's chairman warned delegates that, quote, we we are not where we need to be in order to close this conference with tangible and robust outcomes, the EU's top climate official made a surprise offer. To applause, he proposed a two-pronged approach that would create a pot of money for poor countries and push for steeper cuts of heat-trapping emissions by all countries, as well as the phasing down of all fossil fuels, including natural gas and oil. The issues of compensation and pollution cutting are two sides of the same coin as far as the European Union is concerned, said European Union Executive Vice President Franz Timmermans, making it clear that the 27-nation bloc won't offer more money unless there are concessions on emissions targets, end quote. Unsurprisingly, this impasse lasted through the next day of negotiations, as all involved parties set out to impose their own agenda on the EU proposal that sought to define the most important outcome of the conference as a whole. Unfortunately for the participants, the conference was set to end that Friday evening, a day after the proposal was presented to the delegation. By Friday afternoon, reporters on the scene were becoming pessimistic about the chances for any substantial outcome. According to an article published by Reuters, quote, climate negotiations on Friday were mulling a late-night European Union proposal aimed at resolving a stubborn impasse over financing for countries hit by climate-fueled disasters and pushing this year's UN Climate Summit in Egypt closer to a final deal. The EU proposal would be, set up, would be to set up a special fund for covering loss and damage in the most vulnerable countries, but funded from a broad donor base. The EU offer is at odds with a proposal by developing countries and China that called for all developing countries to have access to the fund. That proposal used the UN definition that would have allowed China to receive, not contribute, money, end quote. That final aspect of the proposal was a major sticking point for developed nations, considering the history of climate negotiations between China and the West. China falls under the UN definition of a developing country, and, as such, the CCP would be able to access the fund if it were expanded to all developing nations. As we all know at this point, China is the global leader in emissions production and, as such, is currently contributing the largest amount to the climate crisis that Western nations would be paying for. While China is still behind the EU and US in terms of historical contribution, for example, Their role in contemporary contributions makes their drawing from the potential fund even harder to stomach. Moreover, that status would essentially negate the responsibility to contribute to the fund, making the entirety of the deal less balanced in the eyes of Western officials. With the conference coming to an end, this issue came to a head, as was reported by RFI late Friday evening. Quote, UN talks that were supposed to end Friday were extended by a day in an effort to break a deadlock over creating a fund for developing nations devastated by the fallout from global warming. The extension was made necessary because wealthy and developing nations were still struggling to find common ground on creating the fund and on a host of other crucial issues with only hours before the summit in Sharm el-Sheikh was due to end. Time is not on our side, Egyptian Foreign Minister Sahim Shakhri told delegates, announcing the extension. I remain committed to bringing this conference to a close tomorrow in an orderly manner, Shukri said. European Commission Vice President Frans Timmermans on Friday said the EU would agree to a loss and damage fund, a core demand of the G77 Group of Developing Countries plus China, to be fed from a large donor base. China has so far avoided any obligation to provide climate finance to vulnerable countries despite being the world's biggest carbon emitter and second-largest economy in the world, quote. With the conference extended, negotiators took advantage of the extra time, making concessions and adding to the proposal at a furious pace. China and the U.S. agreed to further climate negotiations at the G20 summit the following week, another important step towards limiting carbon emissions. Climate negotiations broke down between the two nations during the Trump administration and have yet to be continued even with the change of leadership here in the U.S. Luckily for conference leaders, as the clock ticked down to the final minutes of the extended conference, a breakthrough occurred, and the conference as a whole ratified a plan for implementing the fund. As was acknowledged by the Wall Street Journal, quote, a deal was struck at United Nations Climate Talks on Saturday to set up a fund that would pay for climate-related damage in countries deemed particularly vulnerable, officials said, handing a victory to poor nations that have pushed for the move for years and are removing a major sticking point in broader negotiations to address global warming. The fund would earmark money for what is known as loss and damage. When rising seas, more powerful, powerful storms, and other effects that scientists link to climate change cause destruction that is sudden or potentially irreparable, or irreparable. Excuse me. Negotiators representing developed and developing countries agreed to the measure in the final hours of the COP27 UN climate summit held in this Egyptian seaside resort. Officials cautioned that the deal on loss and damage was part of a broader agreement that is still under negotiation. Wealthy nations want stronger commitments from developing countries to cut emissions in the coming de- decade in hopes of meeting the climate targets of the Paris Accord. Those calls for government to limit temperature increases as well to well under 2 degrees Celsius and preferably 1.5 degrees compared with the pre-industrial era, end quote. While there are plenty of specifics to be nailed down, the agreement to this fund represents a major victory for China in terms of climate negotiations. The recognition of China as a developing nation simultaneously allows them to draw from the fund while paying nothing into it, a major economic victory that will no no doubt bolster the Chinese economy in the years to come. Moreover, the ratification of the plan is a moral victory for the CCP who have long argued that the historical contributions to global emissions far outweigh the contemporary emissions China is producing. While the larger plan referred to in the previous quotation may put a damper on this outright win for the CCP, there is no doubt that COP27 was very good for China and will affect the way this topic is debated in the months to come. After the break, we will move into an additional argument for the negation, so don't go anywhere. This episode of Stock Issues is presented by the Missoula Debate League. Founded by Eli Brown, the Missoula Debate League seeks to empower students from across Montana, eastern Washington, and northern Idaho in their journey to become better debaters, students, and most importantly, people. We just launched our second round of debate briefs, which are currently available for free on our website. In addition, we will soon be offering tournaments and camps, we also just released a Patreon subscription op- option, allowing for weekly updates on both the LDM policy topics for this year. We are even offering private coaching for the upcoming season, meant to supplement the coaching already provided through your school. Learn more about our experience sliding fee scale or sign up today for a free virtual consultation at league.com. Now, back to the show. At this point, I want to turn our attention to a potential argument for the negation, following up the arguments we discussed in the previous installment. The argument I will present to you today is based upon democratization, or the process by which a country becomes more democratic over time. As with any negative argument, a contention along these lines will always begin with a recognition of Chinese growth towards democracy, specifically in terms of their economic outlook which was outlined in a Forbes article published earlier this year. Quote, In fact, China's success provides clear evidence of the power of capitalism. Under Mao, the state had an omnipotent grip over China's economy. What has happened over the past few decades can be summed up in a few sentences. China has progressively embraced the tenets of free market economics, introduced private ownership, and gradually reduced the influence of the once all-powerful state over the Chinese economy that the state still plays a role, a major role today is simply because China is in the midst of a transformation process that began with complete state dominance of the economy. However, as the Chinese economist Zhang Weying stresses, China's success in recent years has not been because of the state, but in spite of the state." Quote. As we learned in the first episode covering this topic, China's economy has undergone significant liberalization in recent years. Beginning with the introduction of special economic zones in the late 20th century, China has allowed for more and more integration with the global economy, which has, in turn, resulted in the adoption of further free market principles. China's economy is currently more open than it has ever been, and is therefore more vulnerable to the introduction of democracy than it has ever been. Moreover, economic growth growth is statistically tied to political democratization, as was acknowledged in a study published by MIT in 2019. A new study co-authored by an MIT economist shows that when it comes to growth, democracy significantly increases development. Indeed, countries switching to democratic rule experience a 20% increase in GDP over a 25-year period, compared to what would have happened had they remained authoritarian states, the researchers report. I don't find it surprising that it should be a big effect because this is a big event and non-democracies, dictatorships are messed up in many dimensions, says Darren Aklimo, an MIT economist and co-author of the new paper about the study. Overall, Aklimo notes, democracies employ broad-based investments, especially in health and human capital, which is lacking in authoritarian states, end quote. Given the results of that study, it is perhaps unsurprising that China has become significantly more democratic over the course of the 21st century. Following the events in Tiananmen Square in 1989, perhaps a democratic low point for the country as a whole, China's democratic tendencies have been on the rise, evidenced perhaps most dramatically in the Hong Kong protests which took place from 2019 to 2020. While it may not seem that democratic from the outside, the perception of democratic rule ought to be considered in context, given the slow rate of change in a nation as geographically large and heavily populated as China is. This context was provided in a fascinating article published by Newsweek, in which the outlet reported on the fact that, quote, the overwhelming majority of people living in China say they are living in a democracy. Most people in the United States say they do not. These findings are part of a new study published by Denmark-based Alliance of Democracies Foundation and Germany-based Latana data tracking firm. Part of the latest installment of the annual Democracy Perception Index, published Monday, the study explores public opinions of democracy among 52,785 respondents across 53 nations and territories, including the U.S. and China, surveyed between March 30th and May 10th of this year. When asked whether they believe their country is democratic, those in China topped the list, with some 83% saying the communist-led People's Republic was a democracy. A resounding 91% said the democracy is important to them. But in the U.S., which touts itself as a global beacon of democracy, only 49% of those asked said their country was democratic, and just over three-quarters of respondents, 76%, said democracy was important. End quote. Obviously, those numbers are rather surprising. Given the perception of the CCP here in the West, due to our recent history with the Cold War and what is essentially domestic propaganda published about China, it is probably hard to believe that those surveys were conducted in fairness. Yet, both institutions involved in the survey are essentially non-biased on this topic and have no responsibility to the CCP, therefore providing no motivation to fudge the numbers one way or another. Simply put, the Chinese population remembers the events at Tiananmen and life under Mao, and compared to that history, the modern CCP is essentially a democratic beacon. While we might consider China's democracy to be somewhat of a farce, the local politics have certainly fallen more into citizen rule, and the process of democratization is definitely underway. Once again, this is probably in some part due to the economic liberalization and growth that has taken place in recent years. Given this democratization, it seems as though the Chinese population is slowly gaining more and more power within the political spectrum, making their preferences more important and predicting actions on behalf of the CCP. In terms of the environment, there are plenty of arguments to be made that the CCP hasn't done enough and doesn't intend to step things into a higher gear. In fact, the affirmative will undoubtedly be making this point considering the fact that they are arguing for prioritization of environmental protection over economic development. As of now, the CCP has encountered and rested upon a balance point, where the Chinese population has more influence than they have had in recent memory. As we've pointed out here, this is mostly due to the growth of the Chinese economy. And yet, if the plan is implemented, that economic growth will stagnate at least to some extent, which in turn negates any incentive the CCP has in allowing democracy to permeate the societal fabric of the nation. There is no doubt that the CCP would like to keep control over the population whenever possible, and they have, would have every opportunity to reassert that control in the case of an economic downturn. This in turn would result in further CCP influence over China's environmental policies, which the affirmative has argued is bad for the environment generally. On the other side of the coin, if the CCP continues to undergo democratization, it will be good for both the people and the environment. According to a study published by Wiley, both international and domestic public perception surveys on the macro level showed that the Chinese people had relatively high willingness to pay more for environmental and climate-friendly products, and the adjustment potential of lifestyles is huge. People started to care about the real cost once they realized that addressing climate change is more than just a slogan, but requires concrete actions with everyone's participation. In the last two years, the Chinese public were blessed with more opportunities to change lifestyle and act on climate. For example, shared bikes became very popular in cities, which encourage more low-carbon transportation utilization. Another example is that people chose to install the rooftop solar photovoltaic system because the surplus electricity is allowed to be sold to the state grid, and residents can therefore earn some money, which is an effective financial incentive for people to adjust their lifestyle. If, in the future, the government and business sectors can work together to help the public better understand their carbon footprints and provide more options conducive to cutting emissions of their daily activities, we believe the public would be incentivized to do so. End quote. To summarize, China's economic miracle has resulted in rapid liberalization of the economy, which is tied to democratization of the political sphere as well. This is the case generally, and in China specifically, where a majority of the population both supports democracy and believes that their country is moving further and further in that direction. The Chinese population also supports strong action to prevent further global warming, which means that the status quo is actually resulting in reductions that will increase as the Chinese population becomes more and more involved. However, if the plan is implemented, the CCP will be able to reassert its control over the Chinese population, which would be on balance bad for the Chinese people. Moreover, the affirmative will have made the point that the Chinese cannot or that the CCP cannot be trusted to prioritize the environment, and with them retaking control in China, that would obviously be worst-case scenario on the environmental impacts as well. I have no doubt that an argument like this one will be made on this topic, especially as debate continues tournament to tournament. While it is slightly a slightly more complicated argument to make, it essentially turns the affirmative argument as a whole, and therefore will eventually be used by some of the top debaters in a given circuit. As such, I would highly recommend that affirmatives be prepared to answer contention along these lines. The easiest refutation would be to disconnect democracy from the Chinese population, potentially a winning argument depending on the strength of the argument and orientation of the judging pool. Additionally, I would highly recommend doing your own digging into the events that took place at COP27 this past week, as it will no doubt become a factor in the upcoming month of debate. As I stated before, many details have yet to be finalized, and as such, the issue will obviously continue to develop in coming weeks. Thanks again for tuning into Stock Issues, and until next time, go win some rounds. Thank you again for tuning in to the latest edition of Stock Issues, COP27 in Review, presented by the Missoula Debate League. We are still getting used to this space as well as the equipment, and I am still growing accustomed to speaking to walls again. Therefore, you can expect a marked improvement episode to to episode in the quality of recording as well as the content. Just give us a chance to get better. We recently released the second round of MDL Debate Briefs, available for free on our website. I'm your host, Eli Brown, and you can now listen to Stock Issues wherever podcasts are found. So please don't forget to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for being a part of our community, and be sure to tune in next time for another edition of Stock Issues.